If you have your Bibles, uh, I'd encourage you to open to Nehemiah chapter 2. If you're using the Bibles that are in the chairs, uh, that is going to be on page 398 of your Bible. Can you think of a time uh, when you have been extremely afraid to do something, yet you know it had to be done? Think of times in your lives where you were very afraid to do something, but you knew you had to do it. Maybe right now you're dealing with this, or or maybe it's a situation that you know it's going to require great sacrifice on your part. And, and maybe you're wrestling with whether you ought to. Well, you know what you ought to do, but you're not doing it. In a lot of ways, it would just be easier not to do it. But what happens when love for the Lord and love for His people compels you? We move today to chapter 2 of Nehemiah. Last week we began our series uh, learning of the plight of Jerusalem and the prayer of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. 900 miles or so away from Jerusalem, Nehemiah's heart breaks for his people as Jerusalem is without walls, unprotected, disgraced. Nehemiah called out to the only one who could really do anything about it. He needed the mighty hand of the Lord, the faithful and covenant-keeping God, to act on behalf of His people, Israel. They had been unfaithful, but Nehemiah pleaded on their behalf that the Lord would be gracious and act for them. Nehemiah knows, though, that the work of the Lord is going to require some action by him. Dangerous action. Costly action. Potentially life-threatening action. So this morning we pick up the story. About four months after the prayer that we read last week, the time for action has come. There's a time for prayer and there's a time for action. Make no mistake about it though. Even in the time of action, if the good hand of God is not upon us, we have no hope of success. So we're going to examine chapter 2 in three parts this morning. Before the king, beyond the river, and beside the people. Before the king, beyond the river, and beside the people. Now, I, I just quick note, uh, we, we're doing this series in tandem with joy of Williamstown, Uh, and Ben and I have been working together. We're we're preparing some together uh, for these sermons, and he said those three things to me the other day, and that was not my plan for my three points for this sermon. It was similar, but it's like every time I studied after we met, all I could think of is before the king, beyond the river, and beside the people. So I texted him a couple days ago, and like, I I went with your three Bs. He said, oh, I'm not doing that. I said, all right, good. (laughs) Works out perfectly. Uh, so, so, before the king, beside, beyond the river, and beside the people. 
Uh, so we could take any of these points and easily make an entire sermon out of it, but uh, we are trying to go through the book of Nehemiah at a little bit of a faster pace. My prayer as we enter Nehemiah chapter 2 is that we would see a couple things. I pray that we would see that even when God is working on our behalf, often faithfulness requires costly action, even when it's met by opposition. I also pray that we would see that the work of God needs both godly leaders and community effort. And the banner over all of that, I hope and pray that we see the glory of one who left his place of prominence at great cost to himself to dwell among his people and rescue them from the greatest of dangers. For the believer in Christ, all of our costly action is a response to grace. And it's no different here for the people of Israel. Let's read chapter 2 of Nehemiah. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given, to me, given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. 
Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that by Your Spirit's power, You would work in our hearts. Increase our love for You, our love for one another, our love for what You love. May my words be faithful to Your Word. May it be that we see not just uh, this story, but also the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, through this. We pray all this in His name. Amen. I did want to also say, uh, I put out an email earlier in the week. Read, read the passage. Send me your thoughts. I've, I appreciated what I got. Please do that. I love, I'm enjoying that. Thank you. If I didn't get back to all of you who, re- who responded to me, I read everything that you sent. So thank you. Um, chapter 1 ended with Nehemiah asking God to give Nehemiah success when? Today, right? He says, give me success today and to grant, grant him mercy in the sight of the king today. You know, it's possible that whoever compiled the book of Nehemiah tacked on a prayer that Nehemiah prayed on this particular day that we're starting chapter 2 with. Uh, it's also possible that Nehemiah prayed and then he had to wait. It's also possible that Nehemiah prayed had opportunities before this and did not take them. Maybe he had been afraid. But in this instance, as he has prayed for courage and strength, four months later from the time of this original prayer, four months later from hearing this news, Nehemiah's brokenheartedness has only grown as I'm sure we can identify with, right? When, when our hearts are burdened by something and it's, it's unfinished or unfulfilled or unfixed, the burden grows. Now is the time. Now is the time. Verse 1 mentions that wine was before the king. This is probably indicative of some sort of celebration. They're they're celebrating something. And uh, a large part of Nehemiah's job as the cupbearer to the king is what? Taste the wine. Make sure it's safe for the king to drink. So, here we are with wine before the king. And he goes before King Artaxerxes. And how does he look? Sad. Does the king want his cupbearer to look sad when he's about to give him wine? 
The answer is no. Just by having this look on his face, Nehemiah is putting his life on the line. And we have pretty good reason to believe that Nehemiah having this look on his face was an intentional decision. That he was no longer going to hide his sadness over his people. That he was going to go before the king brokenhearted. Servants of the king do not show their emotions. They keep it all bottled up inside and they do whatever the king says. And Nehemiah says, I'm not going to do that today. And so he goes before the king brokenhearted and showing it. And Artaxerxes responds kindly. He says, why is your face sad seeing that you're not sick? Then he identifies it. This is nothing but sadness of the heart. So we get a little glimpse of the level of maybe of trust that Artaxerxes had in Nehemiah and maybe even compassion. Maybe we got this parenthetical later of like the queen was sitting by his side. Maybe he was favorably disposed on this evening to to show grace and kindness because the queen was by his side? We don't know. Uh, But we do see a compassionate reply. Nehemiah, upon hearing this, what's Nehemiah's reaction? The king says, why is your face sad? You have sadness of heart. And Nehemiah's reaction is what? He's a He's afraid. It says he was greatly afraid. He knew he had gone there for this. This is what he came to do today. The king offers him an invitation to respond about why he's sad, and he is afraid. What is courage? What is courage? Courage is doing what you need to, you know what you need to do, right? Courage is doing what you know you need to do in the face of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing what you are supposed to do even when you're afraid. One of my favorite little verses in Scripture. A great one. Kids, you can, you can commit this to your heart. One little line. Psalm 56.3 When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Nehemiah was greatly afraid and yet he would continue to go forward in courage. He reassures Artaxerxes that his sadness is no threat to the king. Let the king live forever. A word of blessing. But he does answer the king's question. Why shouldn't my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? What city is he talking about? Jerusalem. Why doesn't he just say Jerusalem? Ever think about that? Did you think about that when you were reading this week? Nehemiah never mentions the word Jerusalem 
to King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah is undoubtedly aware that it was this very same king who ordered that the work on the wall stop in Jerusalem 13 years ago when they tried to repair it before. Nehemiah knew that he was about to ask the king to reverse his own order. It's difficult for us to get a feel for how badly this could go. So first, he's shown himself to be sad in front of the king. And now he's saying, you know that thing you wrote up, that edict you made 13 years ago? Take it back. We are not under an all-powerful king in America, so we, we don't get the feel of how heavy this is. Artaxerxes could be right, right there. He could say, like, all right, man, I tried to be kind to you. But I am not. You are now asking me to go back on my own word. So instead, Nehemiah first makes it personal. Trusting that God will use it to move Artaxerxes' heart. He appeals to the disgrace of his forefathers. He's saying, I'm sad because where my fathers are buried, it's laying in ruins. The gates are burned down. How could I be happy knowing that my heritage has been disgraced like this? And Artaxerxes responds again, kindly. He asks him, what are you requesting? What does Nehemiah do at this point? Now, when Artaxerxes says, what do you want? What does Nehemiah do? He prays. He prays. Some call this an arrow prayer. Have you ever heard that term? It's a quick like, shoot one up. You have those in your life? that Like, all right, I don't, have, I don't have a half hour to sit and pray about this thing, but I need to shoot one up to the Lord real quick. That's a good thing, by the way. Chapter 1, the prayer of chapter 1, that's a good thing. Regular, extended times of prayer. Calling out to God. Acknowledging His character. Pleading with Him to help us by, by His grace. But it's also a good thing to say, I've got 10 seconds, and I just want to acknowledge that, Lord, apart from You, I can do nothing, and I need You to work here. And that's what he did. Because he knew what he was about to say. He knew what was on his heart to say, and he was still probably afraid to say it. Nehemiah has been waiting for this moment. He's been waiting for this question. And now is the time for courage. And so after he prays, we see that Nehemiah, he didn't come to this moment unprepared. He knew what he wanted to ask for. And now he's going to ask. He's going to ask the king to reverse his edict and let Jerusalem be rebuilt. Let the walls be rebuilt. After the king asks how long he's going to be gone, and Nehemiah tells him, which we don't get an account of how long that is, Nehemiah continues to list his needs. He needs letters of passage to the governors of the province beyond the river. So he's going to be going through Ammon 
and Samaria, two hostile territories. If he didn't have the approval of the king, there's no way he's going to make it safely to Jerusalem. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, to get the, ki- the timber that he needed to build what? He needed the beams of the gates of the house or the fortress of the temple, the wall of the city, and for one other thing that tells you about how long Nehemiah is going to be there. He needed to build a house for himself. So he planned to go and to stay and to be a part of what the Lord was going to do in Jerusalem. And if you're reading this in this culture, right, it's kind of similar to what we see in the book of Esther. You get this picture of like, who does this guy think he is? To go before the king like this and make requests like this. Yet, Nehemiah says, the good hand of God was upon him. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Nehemiah had no business making this request. He had no business being granted this request. But the Lord was faithful and gave him what he asked through Artaxerxes. And so it is that Nehemiah embarks on his journey. Not only with letters from the king. Do you still have your Bibles open? You should. Not only with letters from the king, but it says here uh, in verse 9 that the king had sent with uh, Nehemiah officers of the army and horsemen. Because this mission was not just religious in nature, Ezra's mission in the book of Ezra was much more on the religious side. This could be construed as, as more of a political mission. That he was going to be rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, which would, in theory, make them stronger, and in some people's minds, make them more prone to rebellion. And so, especially for those who surrounded Judea, they would be concerned about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. So, Artaxerxes sends all of his, he sends his officers and his horsemen with him. Protection was vital. And we meet Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite here. Two men who are going to play a large role in this story. We're going to spend a bunch of time on them next week. Sanballat was a governor of Samaria and Tobiah a member of a powerful family in Ammon. Again, these are two territories, provinces that surround Judea where Jerusalem is. Two territories that are a thorn in the side of the people of Israel for a long time. And, and we see that when uh, we're going back to look at verse uh, 10. When these two guys heard about the plan, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. They were invested in the poverty of the people of Israel. The poor estate of the people of Israel. They were happy that the walls were down. I think this is a good place uh, to pause and consider what Nehemiah is doing here. Okay? What is he? He has left his position of prominence, his comfort. 
He has set out on a long journey, a 900-mile journey, a dangerous journey. He's encountering now opposition. And this will not be the end of the opposition he encounters. He's willing to be in Jerusalem for a long time at great cost to himself. We're going to see throughout the book of Nehemiah. This will cost him greatly. And why is he doing it? Why is he doing it? Because he loves the Lord and his people. Because his heart is broken over the destruction of the Lord's city and the brokenness of the Lord's people. Because he is trusting that our faithful God will bless him and once again bless his people Israel. But he could have stayed in Susa. It's likely he's never been in Jerusalem in his life. And it's easy when people's problems are far away to just say like, ah, man, what a shame. But Nehemiah took the posture of, maybe this is why I am where I am. Maybe this is why I am who I am. That the Lord might use me at great cost to myself to be a blessing to His name and to His people. My people. Sometimes we are afraid. Sometimes we are risk-averse or trouble-averse. Sometimes there will be danger or trouble in honoring the Lord. But where in your lives is the Lord calling you today to take courage? We're not Nehemiah. I'm not going to ask you like, hey, what's the wall that you're called to rebuild today? We don't have any walls to rebuild. But we are called to faithfulness to God in all things. Ponder today what courageous action. Maybe there are things that the Lord has been laying on your heart by the good hand of God alone. What courageous action is He calling you to take for His name's sake? And I don't want that to sound like some mystical quest. What have you been confronted by in His Word? What situations in your lives do you know are not honoring to Him? What things is He calling you to step out and do that you have resisted? What things are others who are believers around you saying to you, you need to do this. And you know you need to do it. But you don't want to do it. Faithfulness to God requires godly courage. Nehemiah and his crew make it to Jerusalem. Three days later, they go out to inspect the walls of Jerusalem. When did they go out to inspect the walls? At night. Why? I mean, it's clear secrecy is a part of this, right? Verses 11 through 16, we've got statements like, In the night, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. No animal was with me but the one on which I rode. Parentheses. Probably a donkey, not a horse, because a horse would be too loud. I went out by night. We went up in the night. The officials did not know. I had not yet told. It seems like it's a secret. Why? Why is he keeping this thing a secret? Two things came to my mind. First, 
Because Nehemiah wasn't ready to, to reveal his plans. He wanted to first see the state of Jerusalem for himself. He wasn't ready. It reminded me a little bit of, of Jesus, right? That there was times when Jesus did not entrust himself to people. Or Jesus kept some of his purposes secret. Jesus sometimes said to people, don't tell anybody. And here we have Nehemiah saying, now's not the time. First, it's the time for me to find out for myself. And I would say, that. secondly, that's, that's also a good quality of a leader. He was going to have first-hand knowledge and first-hand experience of what was going on. He had heard about what was going on, and now he would be able to speak from a position of experience. I've seen it. You know, if he heard that the walls had been burned down and then he got there, or the gates had been burned down, the walls were torn down, and he got there, and I was like, I think I said this last week, you know, like, oh, you mean like one piece of wood fell off of one of the walls? Like, just put the wood back up. But no, now he's, he's entering in. He's going into Jerusalem. He's identifying with his people, and he is going to lead his people in the rebuild. Doing this would give Nehemiah the ability to lead from a position of knowledge and to sympathize with the plight of his people. And we're going to get more into that now as we move to point three. Nehemiah has pled before the king. He's made the journey beyond the river. He's surveyed the destruction, and now he's going to come beside his people. He stands before them, and he stands alongside of them. I, I think a big theme of Nehemiah, Jim even hit on this relative to further along, and it's, it's, it's one of the reasons I thought this would be a good week to sing further along. There's a very big we theme in the book of Nehemiah. He is going to lead a people in rebuilding the walls. Next week, we're going to see. He's going to give an account of all the people who were involved. This is a community work to be led by Nehemiah. And so he stands before the people, and he stands alongside the people. We see in verse 17, I think this is such a striking verse. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. This, this city has been in poor condition for about 140 years. And especially for the last 13 years, they were aware that the king had said, do not rebuild the walls of this city. The city was a city in trouble, a city suffering derision. They were a laughing stock, defenseless, powerless, hopeless, and maybe, just maybe, the residents were okay with it. They'd mixed with the nations around them. Maybe, maybe they'd become a little complacent. Don't want any trouble from outside. I don't want anything to go wrong. Just leave it as is. Do not stir the pot. Let us just live our lives. We need somebody to tell us about the good hand of God. 
Nehemiah could go and tell these people, hey, let's rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And they could say, you could just as easily have told us, like, jump up to the moon. No, we're not doing that. No, that's not happening. The king said, no, it's impossible. The king is against it. Our surrounding neighbors are against it. Leave us alone. You're going to make life harder for us, Nehemiah. We can't do it. The weight of what we ought to do can feel that way. Here comes this guy telling me to have more courage. Telling me that my life needs to be more pleasing to the Lord. Tell me something I don't know. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't believe that Jesus Christ is Savior. Or maybe you're saying, I think I do believe it, but I know what He's asking for from me to follow Him. And I don't want to go there. Because it would require something of me. The sins I would have to turn from. The potential problems it might cause. It's certainly easy for me to stand up here and tell you what you ought to do. You ought to be more courageous. You know those situations in your lives where you ought to do something. Why is it so hard? Well, first of all, you live in a body of flesh which consistently and constantly fights against, wars against that which the Spirit desires. But take note here, brothers and sisters in Christ. Take, take note here, friends who do not believe. Nehemiah tells the people about their situation. He says, we're in trouble. We're in derision. But then he tells them about the grace of God. Verse 18, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 9, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. What's going to empower this mission? God's blessing, God's grace, God's good hand. Nehemiah says, we're going to rebuild this wall and the people melt. Nehemiah says, let me tell you about the grace of God and the favor of the king upon this mission. And the people say, let us rise up and rebuild. How were their hands strengthened for this work? By grace. Some people fear that talking about God's grace is too dangerous too dangerous because it's going to lead people to think that sin is okay. On the contrary, grace is what teaches us to live upright and godly lives in this present age. Grace is what has saved us. God's grace has saved us. To say, let's build this wall seems impossible. To say, let me tell you what God has done for us gives us strength, strengthens our hands, and strengthens our hearts. Who were we? We were a defenseless city. Walls torn down. Easy prey for the enemy. Worse yet, we seem to enjoy it. Enjoy mixing with the enemy. Enjoy what, loving what the enemy loves. We don't want to rebuild. We didn't seek the Lord. We don't 
Remember the God who made us and demands our worship. The list of God's demands for our lives was unmet. No love for Him. No love for others. No brokenness over our sin. Truth be told, if we could just live the life we have right now, here and now, without Him getting involved, we'd be happy. We're fine without Him. To people like that, the Lord Jesus came. He left His position of prominence to take on flesh, to go to the land beyond the river and to dwell among us. He faced danger. A danger that would cost Him His life. And He did it to rescue us. Jesus Christ bore our disgrace and our derision. Jesus Christ faced trouble for us. Fully God, He became fully man that by grace we might be called sons and daughters of God. We are what we are and we can live in a way that honors God by grace alone. The people of Israel heard of the grace of God toward Nehemiah and them, and they were strengthened for the labor. Do you see that in there? Am I, am I making that up? I told them of the hand of my God, this is verse 18, that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Do you see that? The message of God's grace and favor was what gave them strength to labor for Him. And we are the same. What strengthens us for honoring the Lord is a reminder of His great grace toward us and His presence with us. Undeserved. <coughs> Nehemiah even in the face of some adversity at the end of this chapter. They again encounter Tobiah and Sanballat and a new guy, Geshem, and we're going to get to them a little bit next week. And they're saying, what are you? They're, they're threatening them. What threat are they making? They're saying, what are you going to try and rebel against the king? Is that why you're doing this? Nehemiah needs not fear because he knows the king's heart toward him. And the king knows his heart toward him. But what does Nehemiah say to them? He says, we're going to do this work. We're going to do this work. Why? Because the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, His servants, will rise up and build. Jerusalem is the Lord's city and this is the Lord's people. He will cause this work to prosper. And Please note as we close this morning, Nehemiah isn't going anywhere. He will stand in front of His people he will stand beside His people and He will be God's appointed means of rescuing His people. And we're going to see next week. This wall is going to be a community project. But praise God for a bold leader who strengthened His people in the grace of God. May our confidence always be in the God of all grace and power who blesses His people that they may be strengthened to worship Him in this world. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we are what we are and we have what we have by grace. And we know the situations in our lives, the call upon our lives. It's not the same as Nehemiah's, but there are ways that You have called us to show courage in the face of fear. May our hearts be strengthened by grace. Knowing Your great work on our behalf and knowing that's not just a past thing. That we who are indwelt by Your Holy Spirit who have received Your mercy, who have understood the grace that You have poured out in Jesus Christ, when Nehemiah talks about the good hand of God being upon him, by Your grace, we experience Your good hand upon us all the days of our lives. May we never grow weary of resting in Your grace. And may You strengthen us for every good work. All for Your name's sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.